The following audio is from Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. And let's go to John chapter 4. Since Dan preached about it already this morning, we might as well go to John chapter 4 and finish the message. All right? This might seem like a strange passage for a communion service this morning. I pray that it's not. I think there's a purpose of what we say this morning, where we're headed. And I want you to see the beauty of the Savior that we celebrate this morning. The book of John, written by the disciple John, known throughout the book as the disciple that Jesus loved. And that moniker that John gives to himself is not to say, look at me, I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. But in actuality, what he's saying is, I can't believe. I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. How could he love me? And you see that truth throughout all of the book, how John is just swept away with the love of Christ. We see it in his epistles, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and even in the book of Revelation. John tells us that the purpose of this gospel, according to John chapter 20, verse 31, is this, so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. And so the whole book is geared so that you might know this God, believe, and have life. And so John starts the introduction, John chapter 1, in the beginning. What does that remind you of? Genesis. It's God in the beginning. John does this on purpose. In the beginning. I want you to know who we're talking about through this book. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. This is who we're speaking of this morning. We're not talking about a mere man. We're not talking about a good teacher or a moral example or a way to sacrifice and end your life for the good of others. We're talking about God becoming flesh to reveal the God of the universe to the person of Jesus Christ. And so John introduces the gospel that way. This is what it's about. Here's where we're going. I want you to know who Jesus Christ truly is. And then from chapters 2 to 10, we have a series of signs and encounters and controversies that John records, um, and, and people are brought to a decision. With whatever Christ is doing, whether it's a miracle or an encounter with somebody or this controversy, at the end, John wants you to make a decision on who Jesus Christ is and what you will do with him. And by the end of each encounter... And by the end of the book, and in our lives, we must make a decision, like C.S. Lewis said, either he is a liar, or a lunatic, or the Lord of Heaven. We believe this morning, and are sure, that he is the Lord of Heaven. And so I want to talk to you now about this one encounter from John chapter 4, really one of my favorite stories. And I was really excited to hear Dan talk about it. Um, I'm glad he didn't preach it. Because I really am looking forward to this story. An encounter with Jesus. John chapter 4. The title of the message is Come See a Man. And my hope this morning is that as we come to the table, we see the man. Behold the man. The God-man, Jesus Christ. And we find this woman having an encounter with Jesus that will change her life. And our prayer this morning is this. As believers, we will again remember the encounter that we had with Christ that changed our lives. 
If you don't know him this morning, our prayer is that you would have an encounter with Jesus that would save your life and change your life to repent and believe. John chapter 4, verse 4. And he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria to him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, ask drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealing with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that said to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman said unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this well, that physical well, shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him, shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. And Jesus said unto her, Go, call thy husband, and come hither. And the woman answered and said, Ah, I have no husband. And Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband, in that sayest thou truly. And I love this. And this this verse, I've read this verse hundreds of times, and it always makes me laugh. Always. I cannot read this verse without laughing or smiling, because Jesus says, go get your husband. She says, ah, don't have a husband. He says, you're right, you don't have a husband. You've had five, sister. Five. And the one you're with now is not yours. And here's her comeback after being exposed. Verse number 19. Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. I think you might know something. You might have the goods on me. It's a great mechanism of defense. You might be a prophet. Duh. And she goes off on this religious talk, right? Changing the subject really quickly. She takes it off of her husband and her sin, and now she wants to talk religion. So she does. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet in Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is. When the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said unto her, I that speak unto thee 
am he. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with this woman. Yet no man says, what seekest thou, or why talkest thou to her? The woman then left her water pot. Remember, the reason she came to the well, she was thirsty. She was coming for water. She brought the pot. She wanted to be satisfied. And now she leaves the water pot and went her way into the city and said to the men, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. Jump now down to verse number 39. Verse 39 says, And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of that woman, which testified, He told me all that ever I did. This is the word of the Lord. And this story gives us a beautiful picture of the Jesus that we will celebrate this morning. I want you to notice a couple things from the text this morning. Number one, I want you to see the purposefulness of our Savior. Verse number four of our text says he must needs go through Samaria. And the fact is, that's a true statement logistically. Jesus was down in Judea, right, which is south. North is Galilee, that's where he's headed. And smack dab in the middle is a region called Samaria. And so he must needs go through there because that's the straight shot to get to where he wants to be. Logistically, right on. Practically, many Jews did not do this. A matter of fact, many Jews would take a circuitous route across the Jordan east, work their way up, and turn a three-day journey into a seven-day journey. That's how much they disdained the thought of going through Samaria. Right? Dan alluded to it earlier. They were planted there by the Assyrians. The Assyrians had taken the northern kingdom. They left some of theirs there. They interbred. They start to marry. And so the Samaritans now were sort of this mixed breed in blood and religion. And the Jews considered them Jewish mongrels. Right? They were half-breeds. And they thought they were messing up their bloodline. They thought they were messing up their religion. And so they'd rather turn a three-day journey into seven. And the Bible tells us that Jesus must needs go through Samaria. Certainly, it was the nearest road. But there's more here. This was a divine appointment. He must needs go through Samaria. Notice, specific place, time, and person. And John does a really good job at narrowing this down for us to draw attention to one event. He must needs go. Where? Samaria. Yes. But then he goes to the city of Sychar or Shechem. Yes. Then there's this parcel of ground that he goes to. Yes. Then there's a well there. He sits. Yes. Then it's the sixth hour. It's pretty detailed. And then there's a woman. And Jesus must needs go to Samaria. For that woman at that place at that time. My friend, this morning as we come before the Lord's table, let us remember that our Savior is purposeful. He comes for a reason, and he came for a reason. Galatians 4, 4 and 5 helps us with this. It says, Paul speaking by the inspiration of the Spirit, 
But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Jesus Christ came for a purpose, for a reason, to redeem. He came in the fullness of time, at the perfect time, the perfect place, the perfect opportunity for Jesus Christ to come to redeem his people. And, just so that you know, he was the only one that could do that. The only one. No other man, no other person, no other prophet, no other religious leader, no one. John 3, 13 says, And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. He is the only one that can. He came to us. Jesus Christ, purposeful. Um, John goes on in the book of Revelation, and he gets a vision of the future. And uh, Revelation chapter 4 and 5 are probably two of the most powerful chapters in worship. Honestly, you, sh- you should look at them. The, 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 the throne room scene that John sees. And we come to chapter 5, and in chapter 5, a book is presented in heaven. It's an important book, and it's sealed. And, and as the book is brought forth, no man in heaven or earth or under the earth can open this book. Some believe it's the title deed of the earth, but regardless, the book can't be opened. And so in Revelation chapter 4, John says, And I wept much, 5-4, And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. You, you can't even look at the thing. And one of the elders said unto me, John, Weep not, John. Quit crying, John. Stop. Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals therein. Listen to me. Jesus Christ is purposeful. He is the only one that can open the seals, can open the book, can rule this earth, can bring this all to a close. This is our Savior, and this is the gospel we celebrate this morning. Listen to me. In this story with the Samaritan woman, it's a reminder for all of us today that the gospel transcends race, religion, culture, social, economic, gender. It transcends all of those things because Jesus Christ is the Savior. He is purposeful. Number two, I want you to see the permanence of his offer. Look at, back in our text, John chapter 4, and look with me, if you would, at verse number 13. John four thirteen. Jesus says, um, Whosoever drinks of this water shall thirst again. And, and he's talking about this well, about this water that was so important. He says, listen, anyone who drinks this stuff will be thirsty again. We, we don't have to be theologians to understand this. In life's necessities and in life's pleasures, they are all eventually empty, and we have to go back time and time and time again because they never, ever truly satisfy us. The smallest child can understand this today. Um, let, let me see. I'm, I'm going to pick on a kid today, okay? You ready, Lucas? You're not. Okay, he's just hiding now under his seats. That's what most adults do when I start speaking. Right, and you want, let me ask you a question. Do you know what you got for Christmas last year? Don't ask your mom and dad. Just do you know what you got for Christmas last year? 
You forgot, right? But do but you remember you were probably excited about getting something, weren't you? Yeah. I mean, were you thrilled about it? And whatever it was that you can't remember now, didn't you love it? Yeah, right? But you don't even know what it was, right? And if I were to ask you what happened the Christmas before that, you'd have no idea. And the truth is, for every kid in here, how exciting it is to get that thing that you knew you wanted, that you had to have. If you're like my kids, three boys, they broke everything within the first hours. It didn't even matter what it was. These are our children. And this is us. And we go from thing to thing to thing to satisfy us. And when will we learn that there's instant satisfaction, there's instant gratification, there is pleasure, but when will we learn, not just at 5 or 10 or 15, at 50 or 80, that these things can never, ever satisfy. And Jesus said, I'm telling you something, dear woman, this water that you're drinking, you've got to come back again and again and again and again until you die, because it will never truly satisfy you. And for many of us, we keep going back and back and back to the things that we believe somehow are going to give us purpose and meaning and satisfaction and finally fulfill us. A man, a woman, sex, drugs, whatever. This will be it. And Christ says, no, no. You drink of this water, no matter what it is, necessity or pleasure, you will be thirsty again. There's no way around it. If it happens at Christmas for a kid, it happens for us the rest of our lives. And Jesus says, I have water for you. That once you drink of it, you will never thirst again. Never thirst again. There's a hymn that um, I love, actually. It's a, a hymn that we don't sing much, but maybe we ought to sing it because I love it. That makes it, we should do it then, because I love it, <laughs> and I'm really important. All right. Um, it's called Satisfied, and maybe you know it. It says, all my life long I had panted for a drink from some cool spring that I hoped would quench the burning of the thirst I felt within. Feeding on the husk around me till my strength was almost gone. Longed my soul for something better, only still to hunger on. Well of water ever springing, bread of life so rich and free, untold wealth that never faileth, my Redeemer is to me. Hallelujah, I have found him. Who my soul so long has craved. Jesus satisfies my longing. Through his blood, I now am saved. This is our Christ. This is our Savior. That the things that will never satisfy us, he says, don't worry about it. I will completely satisfy. How does he do that? He is the living water, everlasting life. John chapter 7, verse number 38 says, He that believeth on me, as the scripture saith, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Jesus Christ gives eternal life, life that lasts forever. Life after life after death. This is our Savior. But do you know something this morning? It's not just pie in the sky. Jesus Christ says, the water that I give you in your belly now will bubble up to life within you. It's a new quality of life. It's life before life, before life after death. It's true life. And this is our Savior. And so we come celebrating that he was purposeful. He came to me. He sought me out. And that his offer is permanent. 
<laughs> satisfying. My soul is safe. Why? Because I'm Baptist? No. Because I try to be good? No. Because I'm baptized? No. Because I am kept by the power of God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. It is finished. And we have everlasting life through our Savior. And then I want you to see the problem of sin. Verses 16 through 19 of our text. Jesus says, hey, go get your husband, honey. And she says, I don't have one. He says, you're right. You don't. You had five. You're doing really well. Five. And the one you have now is not your husband. Right? And, And listen, we talk about love. We talk about eternal life. We talk about heaven. And we want to skip over the sin part. And you just can't do it. You just cannot do it. Because Jesus Christ is the perfect, spotless Lamb of God. And whether you like it or not, in his presence, sin does come up. Because it exposes us. And his perfection shows us how far we fall from his standards. His goodness. And so he brings up sin. He says, honey, I'll give you this water, but let me, let me talk to you about something going on in your life. It's not unkind. It's not cruel. He's bringing her to a point of decision. Because you can't have both, right? You can't be walking the fence on this. It's either you have Christ or you don't. And we must give up our sin. We must repent. Not only does he bring it up, but listen to me, this is the glory of our Savior. He just bring it up and say, yeah, there you go. You blew it, you failed, you're done. Uh, guilty, condemned, finished. That's not what he does. He brings it up, but listen to me, our Savior then bears our sin. He bears it. The sinless, spotless Lamb of God, who knew no sin, becomes sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Listen to Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. And you, being dead in your sins and, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that were against you, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. We come celebrating, thinking of the bread, thinking of the cup, and realizing that Jesus Christ died for our sins. He died in our place. He brings up sin, but he bears it. He takes it away. Then I want you to see that he purchases her salvation. Verses 25 and 26 continue this conversation. The woman says, I know Messiah is coming. Messiah means the anointed one, the one we've been waiting for, the deliverer the one who will take care of all of this. She said, we know he's coming. And Jesus, I I, I wish I could hear him say as he looks at her, the one you're talking about, it's me. It's me. The one you've been waiting for, the one you've been looking for, the one you've been longing for, it's me. It's me. She goes in verse number 29 of our text, and she goes back to her village And she makes this statement, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did is not this, the Christ. Jesus Christ has saved this woman. So much so that she left the watering pot. (laughs) The thing that was so important to her, she leaves behind because she found true treasure. And now she proclaims his glory. 29 says, Come see a man. Verse 30 then says, Then they went out of the city and came unto him. She proclaims his glory. When we come together this morning, as we partake of the bread, we partake of the cup, Paul tells us 
that what we're doing, got the instruction from Christ, is we're showing forth his death until he comes. And so we come in here, we partake, and we're saying, I believe in Christ, what he's done. He died, was buried. I see it in the elements, and I'm going to do this until he comes. We're proclaiming his glory this morning. Can I tell you something? The woman of the well is very convicting to me. Because she finds him. He finds her, right? Samaria, Sychar, parcel of ground, well, six-hour woman. She's redeemed. She's, she's purchased. And now she can't help but to tell other people. She runs back to the city and says, listen, come see a man who told me everything. Is not this the Christ? Sometimes in our churches we become very safe and comfortable in this. Because we know each other, we love each other, or at least tolerate each other at times. Love but tolerate. We're safe here, it's good here. But I have a hunch this morning that we all have friends, loved ones, neighbors, who are outside of the love of Christ this morning. As we come showing forth his glory, some of us stop here and don't leave and wonder about our neighbor next door or across the street or down the lane. And let me encourage you this morning as we come to celebrate our Savior, what he's done, what he's purchased, and how he's purposeful, and, and the permanence of what we have and all that happens at this table. May we then proclaim his glory here as we make our hearts right with him and one another. But may we leave this place like that woman who was brought to a point of decision. Christ changed her. Maybe it's time for us to get back to the, the reality of being changed by him and allowing it to fill our hearts with gratitude, love, and passion. Maybe to leave this place and to leave this picnic and face the world a little differently this afternoon, or Monday morning, or later this week, and say, listen, come see a man. Come see a man who changed me, who found me where I was at, in my sin, in my mess, in my brokenness, in my emptiness, and filled me with living water that bubbles up within. Come see the Savior. Find the goodness of Christ. And so this morning we come to celebrate, and I pray that as we think of this encounter with the Samaritan woman, that we're all brought to a point of decision. If you're here this morning without Christ, our prayer is simply this, that you would repent and believe. He is the only way. Don't play games. It's foolishness. Don't harden your hearts. Repent. Know the Savior. For those of us this morning who do know Jesus Christ, may we glory in this table this morning. This is sweet. This is precious. This is a good reminder. When we touch the bread and drink the juice, to remember our Savior who purposefully came after us, who permanently indwells us by his Spirit, that we should go from this place and proclaim his glory. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for what we're about to partake in. Lord, help us to examine our own hearts and lives. Help us to be right with you and one another. And Lord, may we focus solely now upon you, your sacrifice, and your glory. Lord, help us to worship you fully now. In Jesus' name, amen.